Welcome to episode 93 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we're going to be talking about um, our experiences with anxiety, how it holds other people back, how it's held us back in our experiences. And I guess I'll start by asking you, uh, Leon, when, when have you or how have you noticed that anxiety has uh, held people back in general? That's a really good question. All right. So first, let's define anxiety, right? So anxiety is pretty much from a clinical perspective. It's the anticipation of fear, right? So it's the anticipation of fear or rather the anticipation of danger, right? So we're like, let's say fear is being afraid of the thing that's in front of you. So like, let's say, I don't know, you're in front of some sort of, I don't want to use whatever, I'm going to say pit bull, even though people go, oh, why are you like, you know, ragging on pit bulls? They're nice like creatures or whatever. So let's say you're in front of a like pit bull, right? The thing looks really vicious and you're like, oh my God, I'm really terrified right so that's fear anxiety is pretty much the anticipation of being in that particular situation or that let's say that kind of situation so it's like the idea there is that i'm afraid of being in the sort of threatening situation which i anticipate you know kind of happening or coming so with the anxiety right all of us have anxiety right so you and i have anxiety all the time uh every single person in the world has anxiety about god knows how many things right i could be afraid of going into work tomorrow uh i could be afraid of having to see my boss i could be afraid of I don't know, God knows how many things, right? So when we're talking about anxiety, there's a huge distinction between an anxiety or like an anxiety episode, whatever, episodic anxiety. And then let's say what we call clinical anxiety, which is clinically significant, AKA an anxiety disorder. So an anxiety mm -hmm. disorder, right, is when we pretty much focus on anxiety persistently, right? It's persistent. It doesn't really make sense with the threat, right? Or, you know, the anticipation of the threat. And it's something that's pretty much, uh, it's debilitating, right? It prevents you from, you know, maybe having friends. It prevents you from taking care of yourself it prevents you from going to work or going to school maybe even some combination of these things so i just wanted to define that before answering your question so what was your question again so yeah um ha have you ever had experiences with anxiety holding you back um i guess let's start with that and then um i guess a little bit later we could get into you know maybe what you did to yeah. um overcome it uh, to whatever extent but, okay, yeah. good, good question. So anxiety holding me back. And just to be clear, I actually do have a number of anxiety disorders that I'm pretty much managing at this point. So I, you got generalized, generalized anxiety, which is great, where you're constantly worried about a lot of different things that are really not necessarily threatening. Uh, then you have a mild version of OCD, where I'm like obsessing about certain things also, you know, connected to kind of generalized anxiety where you're worrying. Fortunately, for me, I don't have any particular rituals, unless I'm in the particular episode, and then I'm like, just constantly checking something over and over again. Uh, mm. I don't know whether it's like health related stuff. And let's say, I don't even know what have I checked before that's health related. Oh yeah. When I was waiting for the results of my blood test and this is, Oh my God. So when I was waiting for the results of my blood test, I kept going on the website to check over and over again if they had arrived. So that's usually pretty bad. So I guess that would be considered like minor OCD because it's like with OCD, it's more persistent uh, with, let's say, well, I mean, it is OCD still, but the thing is it's a minor version of it because in this case, I only do it periodically when something comes up, right. Or when I think something is coming up, whereas uh, with somebody who has like consistent chronic OCD, the idea is it's an everyday thing. Whereas like for me, I don't have like these repetitive checks every single day. Uh, um, okay, so that's that. And then, um, so yeah, so in terms of like actual anxiety, man, I could even say the podcast. 
Like, dude, I remember when we started it. I remember when we started it and thinking like, oh my God, like, you know, what is it that, like, why would people want to listen to us? And, you know, we just had that conversation. So I was like, who the hell yeah. cares about us, right? Who's going to listen to us? I was like, we're going to put ourselves out there. We're going to fucking embarrass ourselves. Literally, we're going to get like two hits or two views. People are going to be like, yeah, why are these like assholes on YouTube wasting other people's time? I was like, what am I going to look like on air, right? Like, what are people going to think about me? They're going to be like, what the hell? Like, who, first of all, who is this person? And second of all, like, I'm like, are people even going to think like I'm attractive enough to be on fucking YouTube as stupid as that sounds. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, but it's mostly like, what do we have to offer? So in terms of like feeling anxiety and feeling super, uh, I guess, worried. Right. So going into the podcast, it's literally when we started and just wondering if the material that we're going to present, particularly me, right. I wasn't, you know, sorry, I wasn't really thinking about from your end. So uh, from my end, I was like, yeah, am I going to present material that's actually worth like speaking about or worth listening about? So uh, yeah, so for me, in terms of just feeling anxiety, it's usually more, um, it's performance, right? So my, uh, if I had to, I mean, it's hard to look at it in terms of like a core issue, but if I would say that there's a significant point of anxiety for me, it's performance anxiety. So I'm constantly worried that I'm going to like let people down and I'm not going to be able to perform up to, you know, what I think is supposed to be my ability or maybe not even ability, what I think other people's expectations are. And I'm like constantly worried that if I put myself out there, whatever it is that I do, right, it's just not going to be good enough. It's going to be like, you know, the speaker being booed off the stage. So, mm. yeah. Mm. I find that interesting. Would you would you say that um, it was interesting also that bit earlier where you're like, oh, I didn't even consider like how you felt doing the podcast or something like that. Would you consider anxiety sort of a, a self-centered sort of uh, mindset? Not. And by the way, no judgment. Uh, anxiety is universal. Um, yeah. Again, like you said earlier, I have it. You have it. Everybody has it. Right. Yeah. But um but yeah, it, it is sort of uh, self-centered. It, the The attention goes all on you, like how you feel in this moment. You you, you forget about um, the other person's or other other people's experience, which is right. which is interesting, actually. I wonder what being aware of that would do to anxiety in the moment. Would it? Do you think it would lessen it? Yeah. So, you know, what actually helped me? Interestingly, I don't think we ever had a conversation about this, but knowing that you were just as anxious as I was. Yeah, seriously. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the beginning, like when we had those conversations and you know how like you have a persistent cough before our sessions and I, I'm in session, sorry, the wrong field before our shows. You're not supposed <laughs> to tell them about this. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know how whenever you feel anxious, I'm like, oh, cool. So I'm not like the only one who's anxious, especially when we have guests. I think I told you, I mean, we talked about this, right? We're like literally after every show that we have guests, you know, yo, my stomach is always churning after that episode. I'm like, yo, I have to go home. I don't even want to like most of the time do anything oh really yeah man i didn't know about that part yeah yeah what's afterwards what's so uh, interesting to me yeah yeah yeah. it's like because in the beginning right i feel like in some way i can manage the anxiety and i don't necessarily process it like i feel it's weird i it's hard to even explain so i feel it but i don't feel it right i guess this is what they call compartmentalization or like psychoanalytic theory where the idea is like your mind sort of splits off but here's the thing my body detects all of it so what happens is after the show is done and we're like yeah you know we're on that emotional high i'm like oh my god man why is my stomach hurting me all of a sudden that's interesting yeah. um for me when i would so i'm not uh, i have not been um examined so i'm not really sure uh what kind of anxiety disorders i have i wouldn't be able to tell you that exactly mm -hmm. but um as far as yeah like the show is concerned since we brought that up uh, yeah uh when we first i mean 
here's the thing. I have simultaneous perspectives running at the same time. And it's like they're all trying to uh, uh, manage each other for a lack of a better way of articulating that. So, like, for instance, let's say it's um, before we start a show, we have a guest coming. Mm-hmm. And let's say this is earlier in, in the show's history, right? So, and I like that we could say that now, the show's history. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, the, and you've seen it too. Before uh, an episode, I would start to get like extremely nervous about how um, the performance was going to go. And I, I realized that, yeah, it's, it's like a form of performance anxiety, right? right? You, you don't know how it's going to go. You want to make a good impression on the guest. You, you also want to make sure that like you perform at your best. So this way you communicate certain ideas uh, clearly, succinctly. And I suppose uh, the it comes from it probably stems from some 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 sort of a core belief where maybe I think well, it's fine because I manage it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, there's simultaneous perspectives going on. But I bet you there's this core belief going on of like, oh, I am not enough. Of course. Right. Uh, As if, you know, uh, something has to be done or I have to uh, something about how I am needs to be modified in order for this to go perfectly. So that's why uh, I keep running that um, sort of anxious narrative. Right. So this way it sort of leverages me in a a weird way of putting it because I know I'm going to do this no matter what. So which is also another perspective that's going on. Like, I'm sure there are people who, you know, again, it's that fight or flight mechanism, right? If, you, if you're too scared, right, you're not going to actually end up taking the action, right? Uh, it's kind of like um, if you're too anxious to go to school or something like that, for, for whatever reason, uh, maybe you don't want to be judged by other people. Maybe um, you are afraid of how you'll do in class. So, you are by knowing that you didn't even go or attempt mm-hmm. you're not even uh, proving to yourself that it was based on your merit that you failed you're just like guaranteeing it because you didn't go and there's a weird safety in that i have some weird i have some experience with that but back okay. to the to the show um right so deciding to take the action i mean is in a way overcoming that anxiety mm-hmm. right in a way you still feel it but I mean, I don't know. Would you say that it's, it's, I mean, it's okay to feel anxiety, right? A lot, I, I even sense as I'm talking about this right now, you that know? I'm like, there's a pride thing that doesn't yes. want to allow me to express that, you know, I feel anxiety sometimes or whatever, especially yeah. the nature of our show. A lot of times we talk about being present and and things like that. And, and sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, you know what's so interesting? So I don't remember who said this. This was one of Scott's guests on the Psychology Podcast. I don't remember who the person was, which fucking sucks because this is like a good uh, source of information here. But so he said that, and here I'm going to tell you why I disagree with him. Not necessarily. I like his idea. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, so he says that actually you don't need any anxiety. And he said for the person who's like, um, who has like the optimal performance is actually in a pure flow state. And he says, when you look at the flow state, right, there's actually no anxiety there. So he's like, you don't actually want anxiety for optimal performance. So why I, so I don't disagree with him about that. Let me just be clear. Like, that's great. Right. And I agree. Sure. When you're in a flow state, I'm sure you're probably performing, performing. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. How many people get into that flow state? Right. So why I like with your version of anxiety, 
anxiety? Is that because essentially what you're saying is that, okay, let's say I can't get into this flow state, right? Let's say I'm so fucking anxious that the best that I could do is sort of work with my anxiety and live with it, which is, I think, the vast majority of people definitely with anxiety disorders and even just people with anxiety, like with performance anxiety up until a point, right? I'm sure you can get to a point where you're in a flow state. So my thing is like, if you use pride and you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to feel courageous after doing this and I'm going to be proud of myself for putting myself out there, you can use that as a motivator to say like, here's this thing that I'm doing that's going to scare me because I clearly can't just shut it off, but I'm going to be able to feel proud of myself for doing it. I think flow state probably happens like after you've done it a certain amount of times and then you're like, okay, like, wow, this is something I really love and I don't feel anxious about it because I've done it so many times. Right. Well, to tag that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all the anxiety that I feel is always pre-performance. Like right. there's always whenever there's an expectation set of how reality is going to be. Yeah. Right. Which Again, I also have a simultaneous narrative running where I'm like, you can't predict how reality is going to be, mm -hmm. right? There's no way you're going to know what the next second will bring. You think that maybe before you start, like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know what's happening, you know, how this is going to work. Right. But you have to have a sort of simultaneous sort of faith that once you start, uh, the words come, right? Yeah. The ideas come. You're, you're also... Uh, having an abstract concept of like how a conversation is going to go is a strange idea mm -hmm. because a conversation is dynamic in nature, right? Uh, you may bring up a question, right? That all of a sudden that's where my recall comes in. And then all of a sudden that's where the content becomes produced. Right. But in that pre-performance fa phase where I start to uh, imagine how this is going to go, there's no way you could take into um, take into uh, account all of the variables that are going right. to be present during the conversation. Right. So it's like such a faulty way of trying to predict that kind of performance, for example. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so that helps me to reduce the anxiety pre-performance. Right. So it's not this all encompassing, um, overwhelming thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then once we actually get started, this is why I wanted to tag what you just said a moment ago. Yeah. And then I get into a flow state. Then I'm actually paying attention. I'm not nervous in the middle of the conversation because everything's already started. Mm -hmm. Right. Then afterwards, that's interesting that you mentioned earlier that like sometimes you'll um, think about how the episode is going to perform and all that kind of stuff. I mean, um, yeah, I wonder what's up with me. Actually, that one I don't. Uh, think about um, I, to some degree I do, mm -hmm. but I, I, there's a point when I realize like there's so much that's out of my control. Yeah. So maybe that simultaneous narrative sort of running uh, really reduces that anxiety. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, if I had to discuss like another uh, personal experience with anxiety though, uh, related to the show, especially it's like, um, I guess before we even started the show, I was worried about how I would come off, right? Would would I be able to express uh, these ideas I've had in my head for a long time um, in a way that's relatable to people, right? You start to ask, is this just something that I intuitively get? Mm -hmm. But when the words come out and this is articulated, will it come out the way that uh, I intend it to, right. right? And I think this is something that a lot of... Uh, speakers or public speakers uh, struggle with, right? But the, the ones who are really good, um, 
Yeah, they're incredible. So that's the thing. I, I would I would sort of compare myself to these people, right? And then uh, that sort of made me uh, judge myself harshly and then not even want to take action in the first place. Mm -hmm. But I realized that you had to sort of be willing to either endure humiliate, humiliation or um, willing to fail, right? In order In order to eventually get better right you have to sort of allow people to see you not be at your best right yeah. and that might not even be the case actually that that's just that's just like something you should kind of go in with mm -hmm. in order to attempt to take the action that you're so afraid to take yeah. right but um a lot of times it ends up being better than you think it is yeah a lot of times the feedback that you get is a lot better than you think it is mm -hmm. um and then might even if it's that yeah, it Sorry, might not be per yeah, it might not be perfect, but it's like much better than what you were what you were thinking or what your interpretation of it was. Yeah. 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 And I mean, th that's the thing. I, I just feel like um so anxiety, I feel like is is something that is um very manageable mm -hmm. depending on several factors. One of them, one of them is being what narrative or narratives do you have running in your in your mind, I suppose, um, while feeling anxiety or when you think about your own anxiety? At the same time, I'm sure there are other techniques as well. I mean, uh, some people will, all, you know, change their uh, body language. Maybe some, you know, maybe you'll notice that sometimes um, when you're feeling anxious or you're feeling um like you're, <laughs> forgive this phrasing, but you're energetically tight, mm -hmm. right? You may notice that your body language reflects that. Right. And there's a sort of feedback between like uh, how you feel uh, in, a, in the kinesthetic mode and then how you feel in the uh, vocal, facial, right, well, emotional well, how, And how you, how you present yourself. Right. So I noticed that, yeah, if you, if, for example, let's say I'm tight, like mm -hmm. my shoulder, I'm leaning forward, right? And my shoulders are tight. And there's this moment of, uh, like, I'm just not feeling, you know, I could tell, like, there's, there's anxiety or I'm not fully relaxed. Right. Then, yeah, I would just as simply as just like putting my shoulders back, maybe moving around a little bit, mm -hmm. maybe, uh, you know, relax my breathing or something like that, mm -hmm. slow down. And then all of a sudden, uh, my state, if you will, uh, changes. Yeah, that's another way. Uh, I don't know what what's what's your experience uh, with uh, managing anxiety? Is it is it uh, uh, cognitively based uh, mainly? Yeah, mainly, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like when we're like, let's say if we're talking about the show, right? I try to remind. And again, like here's this is why I'm against. Um, Okay, I mean, that's maybe too extreme. I'm not against the idea of like flow being the optimal, you know, sort of state, right, in terms of performance. But why, let's say, I don't think I'll ever reach it. Um, so what happens with me is like, let's say when we have a guest on and let's say, you know, with cognitively reframing or just rethinking things and, you know, just sort of seeing the world a little bit more objectively, what I remind myself is that, okay, here are all of these other times that our interviews went fairly well and everything was okay, right? So does that necessarily mean that I'm not anxious going into the interview or I'm not anxious during the interview? No, obviously. 
So, but what it does mean is that I'm able to kind of put myself out there and still do it anyway. But for me, the cognitive part is the most important. Again, not because it like eliminates the anxiety or anything like that, but it just makes it much more tolerable. Whereas before maybe it would feel overwhelming. But I think the hardest part, and I think you would agree here too, is that like to actually put yourself out there. So it's that initial step, right? It's to say like, hey, you know what? We're going to do this thing and we're going to try it for the first time. And like, we're going to see what happens if we epically fail or not. So honestly, man, I don't, I even wonder how we got ourselves to do the podcast initially too, because you know what? I think I just kind of said it. Like I said it as a, like an idea or something. I think I had this conversation with Vegas and I was like, Oh, Hey man, like, what do you think if I just like do videos for like the overall platform and do you like YouTube stuff on mental health? He's like, Oh yeah, yeah. No, sounds good. And then I'm like, Oh, maybe this could be like a podcast. And then I'm thinking about you. Right. And I'm like, maybe I should do a podcast with Alan. But by the way, this whole time that I'm thinking of these things, I'm actually not that serious about it. I'm just like, Oh, these sound like interesting ideas. Let's just see what happens. Right. I could say I tried, but then after we finally got to the point where it feels like now there's no turning back, I feel like that was also a thing that pushed me too. So it's yes, the cognitive reframing in one sense, right. Somewhere down the line. But initially I think once you build up like some expectation, we didn't have obviously a big expectation. We weren't expecting like thousands of viewers, but there was the expectation that, Hey, you got me into this. Now you have to actually follow through. Right. Because when I got mm -hmm. you into it, I'm like, shit, now I have to follow through. I can't just be like, Oh, you know what? Forget it. I, I give up. Or I tell Vegas and be like, Hey, sorry, man. So you know what? I honestly think it's that fear of disappointment for me, for me that initially gets me over the hurdle. So at first it's definitely the desire, the drive to, you know, create something. But honestly, man, after a while, I'm like, wait, shit, what the fuck did I just get myself into? I really don't want to do this, but it's that fear of disappointing the people that I've uh, uh, pretty much, what's the word? I got them, uh, I kind of enveloped them into my scheme, right? And now I'm like, oh shit, I can't let these guys down. I just wasted everybody's time there. You know what's great about that? Mm. It's fantastic about that. It was exactly the same for me, the disappointment <laughs> thing. Yeah. So that, 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 see, uh, by myself, I was doing ego ends now before, right? Mm -hmm. But it, nothing was, essentially being done, so to speak. Like I was, here's the thing. I always had an idea that I wanted to relate to people, ideas about critical thinking, nuance. What is the ego? What is identifying with beliefs? What tribalism, how to sort of uh, run simultaneous perspectives, not be attached to one, right. uh, seeing the other as yourself, all of these kinds of concepts, right? right, right. Always wanted that to be related. Well, not always, but for a while before we met. Okay. But then I never got to the point where I could see the structure of how to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I knew about podcasts. I'd listened to podcasts. I, what I was thinking what it was going to be originally mm -hmm. was create uh, video clips, either like me, just like in front of this camera or in front of a camera. Right. And then relate relating something about in a 10 minute video, 15 minute video, 30 minute video, whatever, certain concepts and structuring out a certain way and explaining what do these things mean and trying to be engaging and all of that. But I never sort of got the structure down. Mm -hmm. So because I never had that structure down of how this was going to work, mm -hmm. I didn't begin. I didn't start the process of making those videos and things like that. Mm -hmm. But then when you had brought up the idea of doing a podcast, I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Because one, you don't have to have prepared material. 
right right or or in a sense you do because it's all the material that you take in that you yeah. studied oh you have out in conversation you have to know your shit yeah, yeah you don't have to prepare per se but if you come on and you say some shit that's wrong like i mean we haven't had this fortune because i don't think we have that many viewers but people call you out on it like you see what happens to rogan and all these other people it's fucking terrible Right. And also, uh, we're also very careful about when we say certain things that aren't uh, verified, we'll be like, well, actually, you know, right. some people say this, some people say that, uh, but being general. But anyway, so the moment you did that, I was like, oh, yeah, we could sort of uh, riff, right? And have certain ideas come up and okay, yeah, a structure, finally, right? The only step was take the action, right? Because mm -hmm. I had been so used to not doing that, right? that I had uh, really cemented in my own life, like proof as a, like a reference experience. Like mm -hmm. Alan does not take action. Mm -hmm. Like with, he didn't follow through on like this dream that he had. This is how, this is what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. I never said this before, but okay. Mm -hmm. But that, but yeah, I, then when that opportunity presented itself, yeah, I was uh, scared, but then at the same time, it's like, I was like, oh, okay, well, he, Leon's willing to do this with me. Awesome. We don't know where it's going to go. Hey, at least we're trying, right? The, the fact that we were tr attempting something like that, it felt like a win. Like mm -hmm. back to that uh, winner effect thing. You start to attempt, you start to, um, it, for me, in my um, framework, in my belief system, mm -hmm. even taking that kind of action, whether it was successful or not, okay. was considered a big deal for me because it was as opposed to not taking any action at all yeah right? and, and it went against that core belief of alan doesn't pursue his dreams exactly mm -hmm. yeah so then uh, and also i didn't want to disappoint and i love that i had that leverage right. i love it because i was like oh yes okay finally yeah. i'm gonna be doing this okay cool and then it became we're doing this and then it became like a different it started to evolve into something different from there mm -hmm. but yeah and in the, in the beginning i was also afraid how are we going to come off how do we have the perfect camera equipment do we have the perfect mic equipment right. oh even you know it's funny if we looked at what we were working with before now yeah like we should revisit that someday mm -hmm. uh we'll be like oh my god why did we think that that was okay to do right yeah but what about to start somewhere and what about also the fact that we were like nobodies right so it's not like let's say i don't know who Okay, let's say whatever. I'll just mention Nikki Glazier. I like her a lot. I like her podcast, right? It's really cool and just interesting and fun. So with Nikki Glazier, right? So she's somebody, right? So she was like this like popular comedian. And then one day she's like, hey, I'm gonna go start a podcast here to my fans. Let me put out, you know, some fucking like Instagram posts. Listen to my podcast, right? So instantly, bam, she's like, I have viewers, right? We were not that. Like, who the hell were we? So I'm like, great. We're like these fucking two schlubs who are starting from scratch, who have like no real foundation, no fan base. We have no like, we're not in movies movies we're obviously not comedians right we don't have we haven't been on anybody's show or anything like that so i mean we hope that we have something to offer we think we do but at the end of the day we don't have like a following whereas like you know a comedian or whomever could just say hey you know what i want to start a podcast cool now you have a podcast and like thousands of oh, probably well for her it's millions i think but like let's say for their average comedian probably thousands of listeners right so for me i think hopefully and i i mean not hopefully i guess I, I could allow myself to feel pride in that i think it's pretty cool that we did that despite the fact that we didn't have following and we were completely nobody at the time so i agree with that right uh yeah that, that was definitely a thought in my head as well i was like okay 
before we, uh, uh, anyone who did start their podcast already had some kind of platform to work with. Yeah. Even, even uh, Rogan, when he started mm-hmm. and like um, for him, the biggest thing for a long time, and this was not in the start of it, uh, the very start of it, he didn't have like anybody really watching. It was like a hundred people, 200 people tops. Yeah. Then when it started to even do okay, by my standards, because I actually started listening to Rogan from the very beginning, very beginning. So 2010. Was it 2010? Yeah. I think it was before that. No, 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 2010. So I'm assuming you listened to those first podcasts, like with like Jan Irvin, and I forgot who the other person was. He, no, I, I think it was before. I really think it was before because I remember being in high school. No, no, last uh, year was his last year was his tenth anniversary, ten year. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, you might yeah. have heard him like do stuff like shows or whatever, maybe some other stuff, but it wasn't like the Joe Rogan experience. That, yeah. So I listened to him originally um, on the Opie and Anthony show. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So he had somewhat of a platform already. He did also at Fear Factor right. and these other things. So even though that didn't help him initially with the podcast, because podcasting was a new thing at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was a big deal when I saw him having 2000 people live watching him i was like oh he's getting really a lot of people at the same time watching this this is going to be a big thing i think mm-hmm. right and uh i guess uh, compared to network tv that's not a big deal at all at the time but i was never used to seeing anybody who was live getting that many people simultaneously watching right. I, I remember 100 700 was like a big deal uh, right. on youtube live or whatever the thing was at the time of mm-hmm. uh, he was using vimeo right. Okay, what's the point though? These people went from a, a platform mm-hmm. that they already kind of had and then attempted podcasting. And then somebody like a Nikki Glazer, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, if, if you post on your Twitter where already you have all your followers from your comedy career, right. uh, yo, I, I'm having a, <laughs> I have a podcast, check this out, all of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to amass uh, an audience uh, much quicker. Yeah. Um, and I, think- I kind of like that we were nobodies. Interesting. So, wow. Okay. So I want to ask why, but I just want to interject really quickly and say, I think because of black and white thinking and just the way human beings are, I think it's very easy for like, let's say us to say, okay, well, you know what? We're not her or we're not like Rogan or whatever. And if we're going to obviously compare ourselves to him, you know, I mean, it's not even close. So the idea there is like, so here's the thing. Let me just preface this quickly by saying like, look, anxiety most of the time is super irrational, right? So I understand what I'm about to say is super irrational. So when I would come in with it, right. Or like when I would think about it in terms of my perfectionism, I would think like, oh my God, like, look at how we're doing as compared to these people. Right. So that would make me fucking anxious. And I'm like, this is like embarrassing. Right. We're not anywhere close to the numbers that they're pulling in. Like, this is awful. Right. And the anxiety was like, you should stop doing this because you're like failing. Right. And you're going to continue to fail and you're going to continue to look stupid because you guys aren't doing anything worthy uh, based on, you know, these comparisons. Right. That's black and white thinking. Right. Uh, So, yeah. Can you follow up on what you just said? That's actually really interesting. Why? Why do you why do you feel like you're actually proud of it? Well, I feel like, again, it felt like a win. Yeah. It, it felt like- To get through uh, that anxiety, win. yeah. Yeah, it felt like a win against that anxiety. Because that anxiety is so, pe- people live with anxiety every day. And there's some people who it's incredibly crippling for, right? right? And to the extent that you're willing to take a- action outside of your existing um, belief set or current view of reality, is the extent to which you overcome that anxiety and then start to be able to 
relax a bit more and have a happier sort of life. If that's sort of your aim, I, I suppose it depends who, you know, whose values are we considering, right? right, right. Yeah. But for me, that was a big deal, right? To be able to uh, be like, okay, just try, you know, what is it that you really want? Like I asked myself, I've, uh, you, you know, all those self-help books where they tell you, write down your purpose. Where do you see yourself in five years? Mm-hmm. What do you think about your current life circumstances? What would you need to do to get to the future result that you, you know? And so upon doing things like that, I had sussed out what it is that I really wanted my purpose to be. That was actually, a, a that's another conversation actually for how to even come up with what you want your purpose to be. That took years to even figure out. Mm-hmm. But once I had realized, you know, okay, I, if I asked myself, what do I truly want to do, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I would like to relate these I- ideas that I had uh, understood or think I understood, let's be fair. But that, that were helpful. Ab- about, yeah, that were helpful. Mm-hmm. And I want, and that that to me was uh, above, like the, the highest, um, how do I put this? It trumped my anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And even then, even having that uh, higher purpose, so to speak, um, it wasn't enough. It was enough to create certain boundaries against um, defeating thoughts. Right. So that was good. It did work its magic in that sense. But the uh, taking action portion, that was, uh, again, a huge win against anxiety and I feel like uh, us not being anyone in particular it felt like even a bigger win against anxiety because anxiety wants to or or your mind wants to rationalize yeah don't do this right right? but there's there's something you kind of get as you you get as you kind of get older which is like acting in spite of those rationalizations mm-hmm. is works so counterintuitively in your favor a lot of the time. Mm. See, they're there to protect you, right? For survival. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it was, yeah, it was last week. Mm-hmm. Not last week, last episode. Right. Um, I, I feel like uh, a lot of times, yeah, okay, fire is bad, right? Don't put your hand in the, in the fire. Uh, okay there's a lot of things that you have uh, fears against or that you uh, rationalize for your survival right yeah. but there is these other things that just kind of feel like you're rationalizing for survival but that's not the case it's just survival of a concept of who you think yourself to be yeah. right but that's not that's not the way to it, it feels like when you uh transcend that mm-hmm. then you start to add more of a depth to your character. You add more uh, like a sort of a novel sense of life. Mm-hmm. You start to feel uh, better about things. And it also gives you a sort of hope that you could continue to do that, right? right? And um, transcend that that former self that was so crippled by anxiety. Yeah, and who right? needed so badly to see him or herself in such a positive light, like in a too positive light. Yeah, I mean, there were, um, for example, there's other, like, for example, uh, seeking a partner, right? You maintain your confidence by not approaching anyone or talking Mm -hmm. to anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can still maintain whatever uh, 
narrative you want of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, you know, you know what I used to do? I, 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 I want to know what you think about this. So this is so embarrassing to say now, fortunately, I don't do, I do this anymore. I've grown out of it. But you know, like that idea of rejecting people before they reject you. Speaking yeah. of partners, that's what I used to do. So like when I would go into a room or a party or whatever, I'd make it seem like I didn't give a shit about anybody there, right? And people would be like, oh, wow, like that guy's an asshole. I'm like, yeah, well, I am, right? I don't give a shit about any of you. So what yeah. I would do is I would purposely be standoffish, maybe not even purposely after a while. It became kind of like automatic where I would be standoffish just to be able to tell myself like, yeah, who cares? Like, I'm just, of course, this person that are like me, like I was a dick to them, right? It's sort of like the idea of tanking, right? If you kind of throw a game, right, then you can tell yourself, oh, well, it's not that I lost, right? Or it's not that I lost because I wasn't good enough or I wasn't valuable enough or whatever, right? It's I lost because I didn't care, right? That's the same thing that I used to do too. So I don't know if I necessarily was that uh, psychologically minded where I would say, well, no, no, no. I, you know, I made this happen. Like I, this person didn't like me because I was an asshole. I would just say to myself, yeah, who cares? Like they didn't like me because I didn't give a shit about them. Oh, well. Yeah. And that's, there's a security in that. Yes. Right. There's a, yeah. there's a security in knowing that, you know, this is the action that I took and I knew what result that action would bring as opposed to the randomness or the chaos of, um, actually, uh, trying to connect, maybe being rejected, maybe not likely. Being rejected. I would say even likely being rejected because most people get rejected. And it's like, for me in some way, I was like, oh, I'm above that. I don't have to experience rejection. Well, you know, uh, actually it depends on what level of rejection. I mean, even I realize if, uh, I mean, it really depends how you come off. I mean, I guess if you're, here's the thing, if you come up with a uh, nervous energy, mm-hmm. yeah, you may get negatively rejected because the other person doesn't know that you're being nervous. It's just, it's just something that sort of um, pollutes your, uh, your speech. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because a lot of people, when they're trying for the first time to try to talk to other people, mm-hmm. uh, forget even just like a partner or whatever, just yeah, like yeah. in general, just try to talk to other people and socialize and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it can be difficult. Like for example, you may get negative, you may get here. I feel like it, it depends. Like if you're, um, if you're honestly trying in your demeanor, people might be just be nice to you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, they might, you may not befriend them or it may not go somewhere, right. but, uh, they'll at least be nice to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it, it really depends in the, in the approach. Um, you may get rejected, but it's not like that crazy sense right. of rejection that people project. That yes, yes. Like, and by the way, you're also, nothing. <laughs> but by the way, that's also based in childhood too, man. Because when you were a kid, that's the way you were rejected most of the time. That's what really sucks. It's like that stuff kind of sticks with you, right? So it's like if you're trying to make friends, right? A lot of times those kids are just like fucking honest with you. And they'll be like, yo, dude, like you suck. I don't want anything to do with you. Obviously, as an adult, it's not like that. It's just like those imprints are still there. Yeah, but then... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I guess once you kind of get uh, an idea of how things uh, work in terms of... Um, well, you accept like, it, I think. You know, you have to accept it. Like, you really believe, like, okay, like, this isn't going to happen in this way again. Yeah. I, I think I think that's, that's a big part of it. At the same time, I, I, I feel like... I mean, some people come to this naturally. Most people come to this naturally. But you start to kind of get a sense of um, the dynamics of conversation, like a a little bit of empathy here and there. Um, You may be, yeah, you may be wondering, you know, how the other person is feeling that may determine how you approach them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then when they sense that you kind of get a a sense of how they feel, 
they kind of let you build rapport with them. Right. So I, but, and then, yeah, if, if you had a whole bunch of experiences that uh, gave you negative references, that's sometimes, be, uh, sometimes, by the way, you don't even need to have a whole bunch because of the way the brain works, right? You recall all of the negative experiences much quicker than the good ones. So what happens is even if you have like a handful of them as a kid, you're kind of fucked for a long time until you see a therapist and hopefully have supportive family members. I would say this um, as hope for any listener who may be getting some value out of this. I was a hard case in terms of uh, socializing yeah. with other people. I really was a like a like a uh, a hermit i would stay in actually um found and by the way i love video games to this day i love video games nothing wrong with video games or i'm sure you could find something wrong with it <laughs> yes, I, inherently there's nothing wrong with video games. but they could be misused yeah sure but so but yeah i took solace in video games solace in uh tv shows movies and and all of that and there's nothing wrong with that um, inherently. Right. Uh, but what I would say is I f- found safety and security in them and just wouldn't try to relate to other people. I, I would sort of um, fantasize or, or because I'm living in these other worlds, right, uh, through movies and, and such, that was me getting some kind of slice of life or a slice of experience. Right. Um, and yeah, by the time it came to me, you know, attempting to even try to talk to other people, it was, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. No, yeah. yeah. Uh, even to my own friends, uh, like even to people who um, I had grown up with, uh, there were phases I would go through where I had completely lost the ability to um, socialize or I didn't want to go out as much. Yep. And I'd be like, um, yeah, it was it was it was definitely rough. And then the experience of then trying to talk to people mm-hmm. was how should I put this? Um, I mean, I had to take what I could get. Like I had to take on a mindset of anytime I talk to one person in the day or something like that or talk for more than a minute. Mm-hmm. I had to take wins like that. that. That like as soon as I learned about things like winner effect. Yes. Um I had to take what I yeah. Uh, you could see I, the way I'm trying to even recall this. It's so uh, fragmented because yeah, it's like it's trying probably... to recall a broken. Interesting. Memory. Yeah. yeah and it, it's also far away or further away. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. Uh, yeah. You're not that person. You weren't even that person when I met you. So. No, that's true. That's true. And um, we met a while ago. So it's not like, you know, so that's interesting. I'm. What, what are we talking about here? Like your teenage years, early 20s, probably uh early 20s teenage years yeah and but again it's it's that survival instinct right you don't want to violate that idea of who you think you are or you don't want to feel fear from um doing the unknown yeah and sometimes people don't want it confirmed like they already have like these negative core beliefs let's say like let's say you're aware of them right you're not like let's say narcissistic in the sense of uh well you're not covering it up right there's no like sort of seesaw where you know one day you're feeling like the greatest the next day you're feeling like the worst right so you're not sort of overcompensating so for people who already do consistently feel negatively about themselves most people don't want that confirmed right it's like you don't want to put yourself out there that's what it was with me by the way when i would like put myself not put myself out there when i would uh like let's say talk to girls 
girls or just go to a party or whatever, right? Because I didn't want to confirm that I was unlikable. I would reject them, right? I'd be like, yeah, like, oh, of course they didn't like me. Again, like I didn't just, I didn't give a shit. So what's there to really like, right? I didn't really put in any effort. They saw that I didn't put in any effort. I might've even said some like offhanded comment that they didn't like. And, you know, they're like, oh, what a dick. And I'm like, yeah, sure, cool. I could live with that. I can accept not being liked for being an asshole. It's much harder being accepted, not being liked when you're actually trying and put yourself out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I had my own version of, of that. Um, yeah, I would also, yeah, I've rejected people too out of just uh, sheer nervousness. But yeah. um, I've also allowed conversations to get to a certain level of rapport, right. but then completely step back. Interesting. Why'd you do like, that? Uh, because then I started getting into unknown territory. Yeah, there you go, right? It's like you're comfortable and safe, but then you get to like, uh, what is that point of no return? And you're like, oh shit, how did I get here? Yeah, I mean, it was something. It was better than nothing. It was. What, oh, it so, was, you know. Oh, this is so interesting. Like, can you tell me what happens? So like, okay, so you get to this point, right? You're like, okay, conversation's going well. This person seems to really like me. I like them. And then like, what's that breaking point? It's like, it's like the point when you make your intentions known. Yeah. So for example, uh, yeah, say it's, uh, I love how, how much we talk about girls in this show. It's hilarious actually. Well, yeah, but whatever. I mean, we're heterosexual men and who would like to date. So, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when it came to, um, that, um, I was so, um, enamored by the idea of learning uh, charisma, mm -hmm. uh, being able to uh, have these like energetic back and forths, get her, she's interested, I'm interested, this is fantastic, we're all having a fun time, you know, awesome, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's this point when I would get into a territory where it's like, it's time to sort of show your, um, your intent, like mm -hmm. I, you know, I wanna take this somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's for some reason in my mind, I had this thing where anytime I would get to that point that we're entering a territory where I'm like, oh, now I can be rejected. There's no safety in like doing these things that uh, definitely amp up the energy. And like I learned that aspect of it. it, it it's weird. It's like sometimes you, you look for like whatever is the magic pill right, right. in terms of like what could solve your situation. And you learned all these little, uh, I mean, a lot of this stuff uh, is natural. Uh, you internalize these, th these like tactics, like b uh, body language, yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know, um, you notice I do this, this thing where I move my hands a lot when I talk. I, I, some people like it, some people don't, but I'll I tell mean, you some this. Of just some of the gestures that you make are just hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. hilarious. It's like, it's engaging, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, eye contact, right. uh, these, these things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was safety in knowing what the established, uh, method was for, um, getting something going. Right. But then there were areas where it's like, I didn't, even if I read about this, this is not the exact one-to-one -one situation of what's happening in front of me right now. Right. And then it starts to become this like, um, shaky thing mm -hmm. where all of a sudden I have to make a choice. And I realized, but again, counterintuitively, like, so a lot of times what I would do is actually I pulled back and that was me uh, giving into the anxiety. Right. But anytime 
I went past that, I had the best time. Mm-hmm. I had the mo- the most the best time. I was so happy. I uh, took action. There's a sense of pride, like you're happy with yourself. Mm-hmm. You've also sort of expanded your character because you've added another reference of you doing something in spite of the feeling that's telling you not to do it. Right. Right. And yeah, it hasn't happened as, you know, again, this is an everyday thing. Uh, every day there's uh, that managing of the, I mean, look, I, I, you know, it's funny when I say managing of the anxiety, here's the thing. If I was a listener and I was listening, I was hearing somebody say talk like that. Mm-hmm. I would think they're saying like, Oh, they, struggle with anxiety and then there's like a they would have this association with anxiety being this crippling thing Mm -hmm. it could be but um when i use it in this context here like if let's say it's every day it's a management of your anxiety or my anxiety Mm -hmm. i would just say it's a management of those rationalizations that um keep me from doing the best i possibly could that day and then i'm always reviewing you know, uh, being present, uh, not allowing myself to have um, anxious thoughts about the future or uh, reliving the past, right? Uh, th- there's these certain ideas that it's not like once you learn them, that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it works like that. It depends on the person. It's, it's rare. I think it's, yeah, it's very rare. Beliefs are so hard to change. So, so hard. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's an everyday practice to overcome um, these aspects of ourselves. Yeah. So I have overcome them, but I need to keep overcoming yeah, them yeah. in order to, in order to, um, win, so to speak. It's not about winning, mm-hmm. but yeah. And I think I like what you're saying because even clinically speaking, right. The people who do have anxiety disorders, right. So it's like, because there's something called like an anxious temperament. So look, some people are just like more anxious than others naturally. Right. So what that means is that they need support, right. They need their own kind of tools to use when the support is unavailable. Sometimes they don't even want the support. They just want to use their own tools, which is great. But the point is that even if you don't meet the criteria, let's say if you're somebody who was once diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, um, let's say, well, there's something called like unspecified anxiety disorder, which is a little bit more situational or like, let's say, uh, you know, you get fired or whatever. Now you're like, Oh my God, I'm constantly worried about my job. Right. So that's a little bit different. Right. So that's, um, so the thing is like, there's a predisposition for it, obviously. So, but the point is that your threshold for anxiety doesn't necessarily mean that you have an anxious temperament. Right. When I say anxious temperament, meaning that when you were like an infant, right. When you were a little kid, you were super anxious already. A person who just is situationally anxious is probably like, let's say if they get a new job, um, chances are they're not going to be as anxious. Right. I'm just saying for this particular diagnosis, right? Because you can also have a generalized anxiety disorder, but then have situational anxiety on top of that too, right? Where it's like you're worried about a lot of things. And hey, one of those things is the fact that you're out of work. Um, so yeah, so okay. So besides that, the idea here is that like for a person with an anxiety disorder initially, right, to somebody who let's say had the anxious temperament as a kid, even if you're not diagnosed with an anxiety disorder at some point, meaning that it's no longer debilitating, right, meaning that it's no longer preventing you from living a reasonably good life, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have an ex- anxious temperament, right. So what I mean by that is that like if let's say you stop using those tools, um, if you don't have the support network that you feel like you need, you're 
your anxiety, you're just going to relapse, right? You're just going to have an anxiety disorder again. It's sort of like somebody being uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder, being on medication, no longer meeting the criteria for it, right? Because like once you're on medication, your, your, your uh, behavioral symptoms don't match the description of bipolar disorder. Therefore, you don't have it technically, right? It's not like active. So, but it's still obviously latent. And it's the same thing with anxiety disorders. So I think a lot of times people... Um, they kind of might look out into the world and they might think to themselves, well, I see all of these other people and I seem to be really anxious, right? These other people seem to be managing their lives really well, right? So the thing is, you never know how many people actually have diagnosable anxiety disorders or have or have had them, right? You don't know how many people are actually like with it, well, let's say it would have been diagnosed with them. Uh, well, Okay, this is, I don't want to make this too complicated, but let's say technically if you, if you don't have, if you don't meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder and you're still like, you're managing it through medication, you still technically do meet the criteria because under the insurance, you know, you have to, in order to keep giving medication, you have to build them, right? So let's say for the sake of, uh, the way the mental health for understanding the way the mental health system works, even if you don't have the criteria for an anxiety disorder, you technically, uh, even if you don't meet the criteria in the present, you technically would still have the anxiety disorder under medical terms because you're getting medicated. You're probably seeing a therapist, right? So what I'm saying is a lot of times people go out into the world and they're thinking, well, you know, it's just me, right? Other people aren't, they don't struggle with these same things. And it's like, no, man, a lot of times people manage them. It doesn't mean that they don't have these diagnosable disorders. It just means that you don't know about them because they're probably seeing a therapist, uh, maybe medication management, right? Some combination of the two. And so the idea here is that like, I think a lot of, it's not just me who thinks, it's not my idea, but a lot of times people who have anxiety disorders, they find themselves in these predicaments where they think, well, here I am, I'm like the hermit, I'm super shy, I can't grow up or whatever it is, right? But then here's like the rest of the world and they seem to have their shit together. Even though maybe they, were, maybe they do, right? So it's not that you're wrong per se, but the thing is they've had the support and they've had... Uh, let's say they've been taught the skills that either you've been taught and stopped using, or you haven't been taught, or, you know, you just don't have the support system that you may feel like you need, because maybe look for some people, even the skills of like cognitive therapy, unfortunately are not enough without a support system, right? So it's complicated in that sense. So, but my point is that there are a lot of people who are struggling with these things that we just don't hear about them because I mean, they're managing them well, but to your point, right? Is that, yeah, that's the best that we can do. So with a person who has an anxious temperament, not talking about just somebody who lost their job and who has an unstable and predictable future who is, you know, diagnosed with unspecified anxiety disorder, the person who has like this characterological long-term chronic anxiety. Yeah. The best that like I can do is manage my anxiety. I'm never going to find myself being a person who's like really stoic, you know, and not Massimo's version of it, obviously. I mean like the, uh, the, you know, stiff upper lip Spock version where I'm just this pure rational, unemotional person or mostly that I'm always going to be an anxious person. I could just manage it, manage it better. Well, so I have a, I have a little story, um, sure. back in the day, this was early twenties. So college, something happened to me, which is the strangest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Um, I would get on the train and people would sit opposite me mm -hmm. or if I'm standing, you know, uh, whatever. And I couldn't look somebody in the eyes. Yeah. Uh, not just that, that sounds normal. Uh, let me take this to the other. Well, it's New York. You're not supposed to. Yeah, technically. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I would twitch. Like I couldn't. I, I, I'm doing it right now for the camera. Like I couldn't like look at somebody. I felt a literal crazy tension in my yeah. eye yeah. where I couldn't like look in the direction of someone. I had to look away. Sure. But as I was getting into uh, materials, like the things that we discuss on the show, 
mm-hmm. for example, like uh, again, being present, flow state, such and such. Sorry. It. I was bothered by the fact that I intellectually was understanding what was being writ- what was written in these books, and that I did apply them to some extent in my life. But then when I got onto the train, I couldn't. I, I would just twitch. And I couldn't look at somebody and it bothered me that I couldn't just look around and have a, like a non-physiological sort of response. I wanted to get to a point where I could be comfortable turning my head around to the left, to the right, wherever I want to look and of my own volition, you know, either I'm choosing to look at somebody or I'm choosing not to, but I don't want to have some weird impulse reaction where I'm, uh, triggered and I can't uh, look at someone. It, it bothered me so much that I wasn't in control there, right. right? And because it bothered me so much, that actually acted as leverage for me to keep uh, like sort of pummeling myself or uh, putting it into my head, different uh, resources, um, whether it be a podcast, uh, self-help seminar type stuff, uh, video lectures, Alan Watts, Eckhart, like whoever, all these, all these people, I would constantly be um, putting these kinds of influences into me. Uh, so this way, I could, um, like you know that saying where um, you're the you're the combo of the five closest influences or people to you. Right. So I tried to hack that. Mm-hmm. And just be like, okay, well, let's say I'm not talking to anybody or I don't have these five influences or the five people who are closest to me. They're not the best five people in actuality, in reality. Mm-hmm. I thought if I constantly put good information in me or what, you know, I thought was good information, right. um, that would act as one of those or more of those influences. Mm-hmm. And that would help to structure my um, default personality, so to speak. Uh, and it actually worked to some extent. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really did. It, it was up like a 0.1% cha- uh, change every day. Mm-hmm. But again, winner effect. I was like, okay, all right, let's, let's stack, let's stack this. Let's see what happens in a year from now and, mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, there also, there's another saying, right? Um, sometimes it's not you. Sometimes you're surrounded by assholes, right? Yes. yes Have you yes. heard that before? Of course. I think that's true. And simultaneously, what could be true is um, what, you know, it could be you also. Well, you're, you're, you're the one who's maintaining those relationships. So it is you partially. So you know how, like, um, for example, if, if you were getting negative feedback from the people around you, right. depending on you, I was thinking about this recently, depending on you, your current temperament and all that, you may look at it as if you're being attacked. Mm-hmm. And then you look at those sayings like get the assholes out of your life and all of that, right? And you may take that and then get these people who are giving you that negative feedback and you're taking to be assholes out of your life. Right. Now, it could be effective, right? You Now you no longer have that feedback of you being an asshole and you now have the mental resources or space to sort of restructure yourself. That's fair. That's mm-hmm. And I think that's true in a lot of cases. I also thought about this and I realized that sometimes it could be your own rationalizations that 
could be turning these people who are just acting as mirrors or feedback mechanisms or like, yeah, like they echo back to you, your behavior in a way. Like you ever talk to the same person who used to have like a bad view of you mm-hmm. once upon a time and you talk to them now and you're more adjusted and it's a normal interaction. So actually, no, most of the people I did know were assholes. So it's like they didn't criticize you because you were hurtful. They criticized you to put you down. Have you ever talked to someone who ha- previously had the asshole perspective of you, but it's not somebody you cut out and then you talk to them again. And for some reason it was you had zero bad interaction or or some less instance of a bad interaction than you would have before because of like how you changed or something. Nothing comes to mind. Interesting. Fair enough. I have a, a like a working theory with that where it's like sometimes I realize that maybe like, for example, OK, so I think of um, I love my parents, by the way, let me preface this. Mm-hmm. But when I was not behaving so well in my life, when my shit wasn't together, right. um, they would give me like negative feedback. Right. And uh, that's normal. Actually, now that I'm explaining this in hindsight, that sounds like a completely normal thing. Anyone wants to do like, yeah, of course, you're if you're acting like an asshole or you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, your parents are going to reflect that to you. But when I was hearing that stuff about the five influences and like um, uh, you get the assholes out of your life and all that, um, that was such confusing information at the time because I was younger. Right. You, you need to be able to make certain distinctions. You know, mm-hmm. there's nuance to it. Right. Um, and then I kind of I think I did that with other people like who didn't give me the feed, like good feedback, like new people, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, on one level, it made sense. Again, like I said, there's pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any feedback. So because of that, um, I was able to work things around myself. I had the space to do that. It's like I took a time of isolation, right? That the whole being inside thing, right? And there's a value to that too. But at the same time, it's like, oh, if, you know, when I talk to the same people later, it's a completely different experience of them. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. It's, it's, it's bizarrely weird. So why did I bring that up? I I don't know, because, um, I don't know. That's a great. You could just say, you could just say, you know what? Why did I bring that up? Uh, I don't know. It's unconscious. No, 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 no. But <laughs> actually, why I brought that up is because um, anyone who's listening to this, and um, especially anyone who's younger who's listening to this, because like I, I have to like keep in mind that um, you know, if somebody our age is listening to it, they're gonna be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, this I know. Thank you for reminding me. Somebody might take like I was talking to somebody the other day um, and I was talking to, to them about what we talk about on the show and they're like, you know, um, yeah, like being uh, a lot of things that are talked about in uh, psychology, philosophy or self-help sort of podcasts. Yes. Um, there are things that like are uh, obvious. But what I like about it is that um, it reminds you uh, to think in a certain frame of mind because you yes. get stuck in the automaticity of things. Right. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what they said. But then at the same time, uh, I said this next part where it's like, well, imagine my experience when I was younger. Wait, wait, can I ask, was this like meant to be a criticism or was this just this person like sharing his perspective or hers? Oh, yeah, it was a regular, regular person. Yeah, just like, just like all of Yeah, no criticism. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. No, 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 no. Uh, Yeah, uh, by the way, that's interesting that you brought that up. Depending what frame of mind I was in, I could have taken that as a criticism and then that conversation could have gone a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because I took it a certain way, 
it went down a normal direction. That's a different conversation. Right. But um, it, it's kind of like when somebody makes a joke, a roast mm -hmm. joke. Yeah, Let's yeah. say you take it, take it negatively. That whole conversation, the direction it could have gone if you took it as a joke, right. as opposed to you taking it seriously, mm -hmm. you could get into a fight. Yeah, you could get into whatever, or you guys are joking. You move on, and it's the next topic or something like that. Right, right. So that, but anyway, uh, what I had said next was when I was younger, a lot of these ideas I was hearing for the first time, right. and it was important for me to. Uh, I, there are a lot of distinctions I hadn't made. So, like mm -hmm. for example, there's certain things that we talk about here that uh, I would say not to take with a grain of salt, but in a sense, it's like see how it applies to your life, but then use your own common sense to, and then that's also, that could have its own, um, there, there are a lot of, uh, issues there, there could be a lot of issues, but I would say this, yeah, take what we say with a grain of salt and then also apply your own common sense yeah. and try to look for the, the nuance, um, and any counter ideas to anything that we say, and then try to integrate those as best as possible. Because sometimes like, again, like that advice of getting the assholes out of your life, what if you're just, your perception is perceiving them as assholes. Right. And then you just took your life in a strange direction, right. you know? Um, although what I noticed again is a lot of these things um, have a way of automatic, not automatically working out. Um, what's a good way to put this? Whatever decision you make, you adjust to that decision uh, and so you start going down that path and you rationalize in favor of that path. Right. So you could end up making that, uh, quote, you know, objectively quote unquote wrong decision, but mm -hmm. then still end up finding value from it and yeah. moving forward anywhere. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, by the way, I actually like that people think that, that, uh, that like what we present this common knowledge or whatever. So what's interesting about that is two things. Uh, so number one, that means our information is accessible and it's coherent. That means people understand what they're saying or what we're saying. I'm sorry. And then the second thing is it resonates with, it resonates with them, right? It's something that they're like, oh shit, like I feel that this is true. So cool to me that those are two wins. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, look, imagine somebody is like a, a 30 something year old listening mm -hmm. to our, um, yeah. podcast they'll be like oh yeah they're talking about being present to the moment yeah i learned about that concept uh before but then maybe because they heard it again all of a sudden they're like yeah you know it kind of brought my head back to that um sort of thinking yeah, right, right? A as opposed to oh actually i have been sort of in my thoughts lately oh, i have I been sort of attached and I'm going to actually, so uh, I hope this is a little bit of a mind blowing piece of information for our audience, but I'm going to just add on to that perspective. So here's what I think happens, right? So I'm in my uh, cognitive framework. So what we're doing is actually a little bit new. So not new in the sense of we're presenting new ideas. I think that the ideas are old, obviously, but hopefully what we're doing is by reinforcing them, right? And by saying like, here's like why we believe what we believe, right? Here's sort of the evidence for it as we understand it. What we're doing is let's say if a person has these dichotomous beliefs, right? So on the one hand, they're like, okay, I know I need to be kind of more focused on the present. And, uh, you know, I know I need to like, uh, I don't know, just, I know that life is, let's say, short. And I know that these moments are all I have, right? And maybe on the other end, the idea is like, well, I also really care about success and I care about the future and I care about being famous, whatever it is this person is looking for success, right? What they could do is after listening to our show, it kind of tilts them a little bit closer to that belief, right? So it's not as simple as like, I know these ideas, therefore I'm going to enact them. It's more like, okay, I know these ideas, right? And I have these beliefs, but these beliefs aren't as strong as maybe those other beliefs. So even though I knew this, right, I wasn't practicing it because maybe some part 
of me thought this was bullshit, right? So after I heard it again, hopefully from these guys, right? Maybe now I'm like tilted a little bit now closer to these beliefs. So maybe the scale is a little bit more balanced. So again, if like, let's say one belief is okay, you know, uh, let's say I know I need to be more present and then the other belief, and this is obviously simple. So, and then the other belief is something like, well, you know what? No, I need to constantly like beat myself up and focus on the future because success is the most important thing in the world to me, or maybe even the world in general. The idea there is that like, after listening to the show, hopefully they're like, oh shit. Yeah. You know what? I haven't thought about that too deeply. Right. Maybe now that I'm like sitting down and listening to these guys talk, hopefully I think about it a little more. And I'm like, you know what? I still want to focus the majority of my time on success and on professional achievement, but you know what? I'm going to spend a little bit more time with my friends and family. Great. I think that's a fucking victory. Even if it's like, you know, their, um, their life is more balanced by like two more percent. Great. I don't care. We're like a fucking podcast. If a podcast could do that, I'm like, that's a victory. So yeah, 100%. I'm <laughs> definitely with you there. If it, if it could inch somebody towards um, a better belief set, again, because this is an influence uh, for them and it's probably a, a more positive one as yeah. opposed to like negative feedback and such and yeah. such. And, and you know what the thing is? Like, have you ever um, had this experience where like you don't take something like as seriously initially, like when you hear it as you would maybe after hearing it a second or third time? That's true. Yeah. yeah. Because, because, because then you, you're like, oh, this is a thing. Like, yeah. oh, being present is a thing. Oh, uh, oh, new nuanced thinking. Oh, more than one thought simultaneously. Um, I think F. Scott Fitzgerald has a quote where mm -hmm. it's like the true sign of intelligence is the uh, ability to hold two or more conflicting thoughts right. in your head at the same time. Right. Um, and like that, then you hear a quote like that and you're like, oh, okay, somebody famous, this is quoted, you know, this is a thing actually. Yeah. It's not yeah. just like uh, all in black or white on certain ideas because, uh, well, there's a lot of things I want to say actually right now, but um, if, okay, one quick thing for what I want to say before, if somebody is younger, right, and they hear advice like be present to the moment, mm -hmm. that could potentially be incredibly life-changing, especially mm -hmm. if they're somebody who is a, a, a ruminates and thinks so much and is neurotic and there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in their head. And then they hear about being present and they look up how, how to be present to the moment. Mm -hmm. Incredibly valuable. Right. But imagine somebody younger who hears that advice and then goes all in on being present. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that could be good still be because maybe they accidentally make a distinction between uh, being present at the moment and still simultaneously planning for the future. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's that's something that's important. Um, that's that's why I feel like we have a tremendous responsibility to not just like teach people these things that we talk about, but at the same time, just encourage mainly that it's not that like you should be learning from us mm -hmm. it's sort of like we're relating what we we, we the, what we mm -hmm. learned right yeah. <laughs> we, we, we. Uh, so, but I, I think it's to encourage uh critical thinking because uh, the idea of balance like reconciling the balance between being present to the moment and planning for the future right. that's that's an important distinction to make i could imagine uh, and i have to imagine that somebody could go all in on being present and then think that there's no point to uh, planning for the future. Right. And somebody could go all in on planning for the future mm -hmm. and forget about being uh, present. And mm -hmm. they'll never be happy because I'll only be happy when, I'll only be happy when, I'll, right. you know? Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, 
what was that last thing that you were talking about? I remember now I wanted to uh, add on to it. Oh, um, so in terms of like having people, so reinforcing beliefs and kind of shifting their behaviors a little bit, right? Because they're taking these beliefs like, uh, or let's say they're, okay, just to make this uh, uh, more concrete, right? So let's say, you know, the belief is like, oh, like, I know I need to critically think, like I've already learned that, right? But I know the importance of nuance, like, oh, don't just jump to conclusions, right? How many times people say that and really do believe it to some extent where they're like, yes, I know this is true, but do I actually do it? Do I act in a way that indicates I believe this? A lot of times, no, right? So my thinking was that if you're reinforcing that belief, maybe they take it a little bit more seriously when they hear it from us, hopefully, and it changes their behavior by a little bit, right? So where they're like, okay, yeah, I should be more cognizant of, you know, of my, uh, of my, uh, let's say, of my jumping to conclusions of whether or not I'm really taking arguments seriously, uh, or whether like, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, fortifying my initial beliefs when I talk to people, right. So my thinking is essentially that when you're talking about what we do, right, yes, we're talking about beliefs that most people know that it's common sense. But you know, when they say common sense isn't so common, it's not that they mean people don't necessarily know, it just means that people my, my interpretation. So it just means that people don't enact on their sort of or enact their knowledge, right, they don't act on their their sort of common sense beliefs. That's, I think, problematic. So on the one hand, you have somebody who's like, yeah, duh, I know I shouldn't jump to conclusions. Or they might even delude themselves and say, no, no, I never jump to conclusions. I always critically analyze every argument that I see. But when you look at their behavior, it's kind of otherwise, right? And hopefully maybe our show, hopefully, uh, allows them to say to themselves, you know what? Should I, I have to be honest with myself, right? Have I been acting on these beliefs or is it for the most part that I'm acting on these other sort of prior beliefs, right? The fact that, you know, you know, fuck other arguments or I'm always right or whatever it is, right? So it's like, yeah, hopefully the idea is like we're reinforcing maybe not better beliefs, but we're reinforcing better behavior, right? We're sort of, as you said, we're reminding people like, and by reminding them, the idea is, is that hopefully the next time they think about, you know, these ideas, they take them more seriously because they remember learning about them probably when they were kids. They remember reading about them in the book and then, oh, hey, I even remember hearing about this in a podcast. Yeah. And um, so you remember earlier when you were saying like uh, somebody who's anxious, they may be looking at other people right. and then they look fine and they yeah. they can't possibly be experiencing what I'm experiencing. Right. Um, the the truth is, if if we were truly considering what those other people are feeling like truly getting into what we think is going on in their world right. and, and empathizing i think that 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 anxiety would go down right because um tr truly thinking about what another person is experiencing is that's another it's a, a level beyond being in that self-centered sort of uh, uh state of mind i mean mm -hmm. in fact depending who you ask this, this is going to be a little controversial, but depending on who you ask, you might say that anxiety is like a modern day luxury mm. in a sense. And I, I can make an argument for it, right? Like uh, back in the day, if, uh, you know, you're struggling for survival, you could die any day or food is like constantly like a priority or you don't know how you're going to get your meal the next day or um, you have to hunt or something like that, right? right? Th these things about uh, thinking about thinking mm -hmm. or uh, being overly um, analytical about your life, right? Mm -hmm. They, what they do is, I don't know, you don't have time to think of that stuff in those kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you would still be scared, still be anxious and all of that. Right. But 
uh, we don't ha- we have time this, these days. Like things are, are actually nicer right. um, than than they were. So um, it's like a new challenge that we're presented with. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we shouldn't be uh, anxious or whatever because. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, these people back in the day, they probably didn't have time to think about these things, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's important to think about things like that. Uh, it kind of puts things into perspective. You're like, mm-hmm. uh, it starts, starts to make you a little more grateful about uh, life. Like, I'm, I really imagine um, you, you're in danger of somebody uh, trying to steal your resources mm-hmm. and, and kill you or something. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, I understand that that's not whoever's listening or in our case, it's not our case. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. You know, you you think relative to your own situation and then you have sort of like, a you know, what's good and then what's bad relative to you. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why somebody who's uh, rich, for example, can still and then has a lot of resources can still find a way to um, not feel great about life because. again it goes it boils down to identity and rational uh, rationalization and anything that exists outside of your identity is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and so it's the same mechanism playing in all of these people whether you're in a good objectively good situation or a bad one right um but yeah again thinking that it could be so much worse i I feel like uh helps me to lessen um, these kinds of thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's like one little tool. It's like I, I combine a whole bunch of different things. Um, one is uh, if I notice I'm tense, okay, yeah, maybe I'll relax. Maybe I'll breathe a certain way. Mm-hmm. Maybe also I'll say to myself, oh, the other person is probably feeling the same things that I'm feeling right. or thinks about these things from time to time. And it's not like just um, uh, central to me, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I may remember um, that uh, thinking of the future or rationalizing is an abstraction of of the real reality, and mm-hmm. I should be present to the moment. Right. Um, you may also know that uh, just through just logically uh, parsing out what it is that you think is going to happen with your anxiety, right. how if you really wrote it out and um, try to predict what's going to happen you you know that it's if you really thought about it logically uh it could be a number of things that can happen based on the the minutia of of the situation like things can go radically different ways so you could even logically um disperse your anxiety um Ideally, no, ideally, ideally. Yeah. So like, ideally, you sort of you think things through, obviously, and you mitigate it and you manage it. But again, going back to like these conflicted beliefs, right? The idea there is like that core belief or those core beliefs, you're never just going to go away. I know I've said this a million times kind of on the show, right? They don't just go away, right? So it's like they might kind of uh, uh, subside or like you might be able to subdue them for the moment, or at least, uh, you know, you might be able to like act despite them, right? But they don't just go away. But like long term speaking, right, the best that I think a lot of us can do is manage it so i mean that's kind of it right the, the idea is the core beliefs don't just necessarily go away and they're gonna kind of be with you for some time so so alan last thing before we oh. wrap okay yeah, yeah i was having so much fun okay so I hear you, I hear you. Uh, what do you think about this idea um this is like a working idea that i've had for a while sure. but i don't know if this exists in cognitive behavioral therapy or psychology you ever i've, I've had this idea of um there, there okay there have been times when i've overthought 
to mm-hmm. such a degree, like a point of extremity, mm-hmm. where in a sense, my mind stopped or mm-hmm. broke. I don't know how to explain it. This is this is a this is like a working thing I have. Mm-hmm. But um I took it to such an extreme mm-hmm. that the whatever f- internal feedback was happening. Mm-hmm. So imagine like again, this is a working theory, an infinite feedback loop. Right, right, right. Of just overthinking in your head. Right, right. But you took it to its extreme. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard of anything like that? Is that uh... well, you're talking about like what? Like, so the pattern is ruminations. Sure, but then taken to such an extreme level that all of a sudden you become tired of it. I, I don't know how to explain it to you. Oh, it's like, oh, oh, is it okay? So you're like taking your thoughts and you're like visualizing them as being more catastrophic than they were before, and then you just get tired of thinking about it, or is that wrong? Um, it's kind of like, uh, instead of trying, okay, so you know how the natural instinct is to, you know, you want to stop that unpleasant feeling from overthinking, Mm -hmm. but you'll automatically do it. Like if somebody is caught in that uh, loop, they will be automatically overthinking, even if they want to stop. Mm -hmm. But then I one time tried an experiment Mm -hmm. where I said, you know what? I'm not going to try to stop this and resist it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to let this keep going. And then I did it to a level where I took it to an extreme, mm-hmm. which is uh, maybe I'm not articulating this well, but what happened is it kind of uh, broke. Like, how do I put this? Like, I stopped. I stopped thinking. No, oh, so yeah. In, in by way. the way, in psychoanalysis, this is just called working through. Like, you're constantly talking about the problem over and over and over again. I guess even maybe thinking about it over and over again, that you just get bored with it. This is a version of working through, right? So one version is obviously you resolve the problem in some practical way. But then the other version is you start, like, you keep just ruminating about it and talking about it. And then you're like, yo, I'm done. I just don't care anymore. You sort of take the fangs out of it, so... All right, man. Oh, wait a second. What? No, no, no. Now I remember. Okay, sorry. Uh, remember the movie Revolver? Yes. So I forgot what the quote is. I wish I had it. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, engage the end. Like, they were talking about the ego. They're like, right. um, engage the enemy, induce head pain. Mm-hmm. Shit, I can't remember. Oh, well, to be continued. <laughs> 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 to be continued. All right. That's yes. a good end point. Good end point. Yeah. So, um, everybody, uh, thank you so much for watching. Uh, you could follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, where Seize underscore podcast. Like, subscribe, hit the, hit bell. the bell. Yep. See and you next time. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks so much for watching.